in a recessionary time and in high inflation time, your pricing strategy is the most central thing you can think through in terms of managing your success going forward. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the e-commerce leader. We are talking today about pricing power overall theme that we're, we're talking about based on jason's book of the same name pricing power and today is principle number three and particularly in times of downturns globally a really critical thing to think through and to have a solid answer to a solid strategy for so let's get cracking enjoy the show so yeah principle number three from the book is align marketing and pricing and so we've touched on this there are a lot of nuances there you all things being equal, the most premium brand in the market has the most margin because they have the highest price points. If you can obtain that level in your marketplace, then you know, good for you. Don't cave on that. And hopefully you've got the brand power and you've got the business strength to endure a big recession and inflationary times because there will always be buyers in a marketplace that don't care about price. And I know it sounds weird to go into a recession or in a time of extreme inflation, but there are buyers in every community who are like not, they're just rich. They just have money. They just can afford whatever they want to buy. And it doesn't matter to them so much. They're more focused on the premier luxury brand product than the price they paid for it. It's a status symbol for them. It means more to them than just of some of the dollars they spend on it. It means to them something emotionally or something in their social group or something in society. It's a statement piece. And those sellers that operate in that space and serve those customers, they are in the most favored position, uh, all things being equal, if they can maintain that reality. And that, that's the thing that you want to think through is where are you now? If you're not in that position, and very few people are, then the question is, how can you create a context in which the value propositions do really well for you financially? In other words, selling items for a in a value context or as justifying a low cost. And so it's appealing to the masses, but still makes you a margin that you can live on. Those are the challenges. And those are all marketing decisions. You're really talking about marketing, not pricing. Pricing is just a, the fork and knife. But what you're really working on is a big fat stake, which is the position <laughs> in the market, right? Yeah. So. But still, you've got to have the pricing. I think, yeah, pricing is, is positioning 
is incredibly important at the very highest end. So, yeah. by the way, I just had a quick Google. There are apparently, and I don't know how recent this data is, but 20.27 million millionaires in the USA, which is a substantial percentage of the population. So the number of people, okay, a million dollars, you could argue if you mm -hmm. live in London, it doesn't feel like that much money, to be honest. I mean, I'd be happy to be handed a million dollars, but it would basically buy a flat that we've got already, I think, instead yeah. of having a mortgage on it, and then we'd be getting on with our lives as normal. But nevertheless, if you think there are maybe, I don't know, a few, a handful of decamillionaires, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. there are a substantial number of people that I personally know in London, because I know some wealthy people here that yeah. who really wouldn't be, it wouldn't make much difference to them about the recession, to be yeah. honest, unless uh, it happens to impact their corner of the world. So yeah, you have a uh, break that, that number, 22 million, what would that be like 8% or something like that of the US population? Something I heard a statistic those lines, before so. that it was like 11%. So yeah. let's just say between eight and and 10 or 11 percent of the population yeah. is a millionaire which to your point what does that mean but it's an indication of purchasing power potentially maybe yeah. and so all that to say there are people who will buy premium items it will they'll certainly cut back in times of extreme recession and many people who are in that category will fall out of it in times of extreme recession but you know nonetheless there are people who can afford to pay for premium items um yeah so now I've, you've got in your pricing power uh, book, which I've got under principle three, and you've got a great yeah. quote from Dan Kennedy, which I just want to read and get your thoughts on. So he says the best pricing strategy of all is creating visibly excess demand. So that obviously he's more been in the service industry marketing game. Hasn't he had a lot of dentists yeah. at one point and yeah. what have you. Um, can we translate that to e-commerce? And, and do you think, how do you think that plays out? Do you think that's the right way of putting it? Man, the smartest marketers do. I think of Elon Musk and his Cybertruck. He's been teasing that thing for four years or something. I forget how many people he had on his waiting list that had given a $1,000 deposit or $100. I don't remember. But it was literally billions of dollars of future sales because he created a context in which there was visibly, visible excess over demand and under supply. And the waiting list was the way to do that. It is genius marketing. And Dan Kennedy has identified it from the olden days, pre-internet era. And people who are savvy marketers in the internet era can do similar things. Having a pre-buyer list. I've, we got clients who could, who could do this who probably haven't done it enough. In fact, what you're reminding me is that maybe I'm taking a note for a few clients as I think about this. But any time in which you have product releases, containers coming in, product being made and it's ready. Any time in which you have a, an actual date and time where you've got products that can be purchased, you've got an opportunity to create a pre-buyer list and to pre-sell or do deposits or have an early bird list. Those types of strategies, those are all designed to demand ahead of inventory delivery. And that's the context in which powerful pricing opportunities exist. Because you can say, look, this is coming down the road. If you want this price, get on this list. And you can say in the future, the price is going to go up or supply will be gone. Those are the two options. You can say, hey, and event marketers are very comfortable with this psychology. That's how you sell conferences or big events is you say to them, there's a thousand tickets. Uh, the early bird price is $299. And if you wait past July 15th, they're going to go up in price or they're all going to be gone. That's an event marketing tactic. You can do that same exact thing with physical products. I have a container of goods coming from China. It's taken me seven months to get this. It's been ridiculous. It cost me three times more than I ever imagined I'd pay for shipping. 
I only have 3,200 units and here's the price point <clears throat> and they will either be gone or I'm going to raise the price in the future to meet market demand and uh, get your name on this list. And uh, here's the link or whatever. All of those approaches ring true right now. Yeah. Everybody knows the shipping is a complete nightmare. So I think that's where the alignment of marketing, pricing and, and marketing and pre-sell really come to play. And I think it's a huge opportunity for us as sellers. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, pre-selling is entirely possible on Amazon in case you're an Amazon seller going, yeah, but Jason, know that you don't have to have your NDC site. Like, for example, I have pre-ordered Peter Zion's audiobook of, no, not the audiobook. I've listened to that, the physical book, I guess, hardback of The End of the World is Just the Beginning, which is a cheerful title. And you can imagine <laughs> what it says about geopolitics and demographics. Is It's pretty horrible. Uh, apocalyptic, but it's an amazing book. I definitely recommend it. But the point is, because I'm a yeah. fan and he's built a fan base and a following, on Amazon, the platform that I know and love, or mm -hmm. sometimes love hate, but the yeah. main platform for the guys that I, I help, guess what? You can pre-sell on Amazon. And I've yeah. physically done it, and lots of people will if you're good at creating demand. So I love this yeah. opportunity. I really do. I'll tell you, this is one of the ways in which digital good sellers have a disadvantage over physical good sellers. All things being equal, I'm usually like, digital goods, it's the way to go. But, but I realize most of our audience deals in physical goods. And this is a situation in which digital good sellers just don't have this advantage. People know there's unlimited forever supply of any digital assets that's created. You can't say for software or for how-to guides or for video courses or something like that, there's only 42 copies left. You just can't do that. For physical stuff, you absolutely can. And on Shopify specifically, I will tell you that there are specific apps that you can rig up on your store that will, for example, give the stock units count right on the, on the products page, right underneath the add to cart button where, you know, so basically it can say like only four left in stock or two left in stock. We encourage our e-commerce customers, our clients to install that app. And uh, there's several to choose from, but th they basically all do the same thing. And that's a really smart thing to do because it helps clarify that sense of scarcity, juxtaposition to the current price. Love that. And a uh, couple of thoughts. And obviously on Amazon, this happens automatically, but you can engineer mm -hmm. it by doing a yeah. couple of things. Without being too tricksy, you can reserve stock. So you can put it on one side and say, this is not available for sale. So you could have 250 units in an FBA warehouse system spread all over the States or whichever country it is. And then if you've reserved 210 units, you only have 40 left so when it gets down to the last 20 or so they'll start telling people so that could be a smart tactic as long as you don't mm -hmm. overuse it but the yeah. other thing i would say though is the psychology of the sellers is very interesting to me because most physical good sellers and this is an extraordinary testament to the amazing time we've been living through which historically has never been this way we've effectively been able to treat physical goods as almost as replaceable as digital mm -hmm. goods crazy yeah. and that yeah. era i think is I don't think it's drawing Done. to a close. I think it's over. I think there's a sort of overhang psychologically that everyone in the world, including right. the consumers and the e-commerce sellers I know, think this is temporary. I don't think it is. But even if it's not temporary, it's going to be around for uh, the next 18 That's months, right. two years. And what yeah. that means is the reality is the physical goods are very limited and not easily replaceable. And therefore, each individual unit has a great deal of pricing yeah. power if there is yeah. demand for it. And uh, to your point, yeah. the different categories have different levels of demand and sensitivity to price. But I think people way underestimate this because their psychology is trained by, as a consumer mm -hmm. and as a seller, a generation of plenty where nothing was really ever in short supply. And, and this is suddenly changed. Yeah, this is a situation where it's almost like which of the two options, which of the two bad options would you prefer as a buyer? 
And I'm thinking of the baby formula shortage right now in the U.S. It's really actually it's alarming and sad and horrible. I mean, you hear these families that are like, please help me find the specific formula for my baby. Like, I can't find it anywhere. So the question is, as a consumer, which would you have rather had? Low prices until there's zero available and then you have complete outage or prices that ratcheted it up real high so that it was available to you, but you had to pay four times as much or five times as much. And that is on the horns of a dilemma that nobody wants to be on. But we're as sellers in the middle of that decision-making vector, which of those two things do we do? And, and I would just say there's real world implications for baby formula, stuff like that. I would imagine that if you're a new parent, you would have rather had supply available to you, even though, even if you had to pay two or three times more for it. And uh, I don't know, but those are hard options, but I think we have to think through for our specific niches and for our customers that are looking for our products, which scenario, which is least bad of the bad option. I I guess that comes down to, I guess you introduced me to the phrase, I think it's price elasticity of demand or Mm -hmm. inelasticity. Mm -hmm. So petrol, i.e. gasoline has gone up 50% in the UK in the last few months, probably a little bit more. I, I got rid of my car about three years ago partly because of things like that and partly because we live in central london and it was pleasureless driving and we have public transport but yeah it's one of those things there if you have to drive to work because public transport's more Mm -hmm. expensive or not available you will probably keep buying petrol or gas at that kind of price there's probably a level where it just basically causes a massive recession i believe that there's a certain i think a sort of a 10 or 20 dollar raise in the oil price correlates to one percent reduction in gdp globally or i can't remember the exact numbers but there is a a correlation but it's very gradual it's not very specific to individual sales whereas baby milk might be another thing or baby formula whereas there'll be other things to the point of the discretionary level where people just go i'm not going to buy that sort of luxury level handbag for example but i might buy myself a substitute a sort of luxury substitute which i think is another positioning where on amazon anyway just generally not premium but affordable premium if that thing is a positioning that's always been quite how can i put it quite native to amazon as a platform not like there Mm -hmm. aren't wealthy people buying a lot of expensive products but it tends towards that and i think that's not a bad place to go, in my opinion. How do you look through this sort of lens of elasticity of demand? What do you come up with as solutions there? Yeah, so the concept is if prices increase radically, does demand drop off or does it stay the same? And there are some things like you know, a fuel could be an example. Some of this stuff's not discretionary. You just have to buy it at any price point. And yeah, I, to your point about the price positioning on Amazon, I think I also think of Target as an interesting case in point. My wife and daughters love Target. They're they're addicted to Target. And I didn't really understand it. But then I really started to ask them, what's the pricing? What is this stuff? Like, What's it compared to? And basically, the pricing strategy for Target is they have designs that are similar to high-end designs, but they've manufactured them at a low price uh, cost-wise so that they're basically nice designs at an affordable price point, to your point, how you describe it. And I think Amazon is good for that as well. And if you can play in that space as an e-commerce operator, you're wise to do it. Target assembled that system by buying brands and by building brands internally. And if Smith & Hawken is the brand I always loved in the gardening space, they bought that company and it had a prestige brand concept. And then they made it just a shelf brand. And so you have to decide as a seller, can you create uh, the feeling of a higher end brand. You do that through your photography, through your website, through your uh, copywriting, through your 
videography through your social media, your the look and feel of the packaging and can you, but then can you deliver it for a good, a, a fair price and still make margin? These are the struggles. All of those components, the work for videography, the work for photography, the work for copywriting, the uh, the cost of the packaging for your, your product, all of those things are inflating radically. And can you even build a system like that? That's the challenge. And so I think those are the hard decisions for sellers. I guess that, again, this is a sort of nice to have in good times and a must have in bad times. I would say all the things you were saying about creating the feel of a high-end brand, but with an affordable quality, uh, affordable products is something that all Amazon sellers I know really have been, the successful ones have been playing in that pool. I, I would say yeah. it comes down to some harder choices possibly, and maybe you do fewer product lines or you expand more slowly or you stop expanding mm -hmm. product lines and just focus on what works. But I would always say, there's a sort of upfront investment or overhead type cost with photography, copywriting, videography, packaging, development, which can be considerable, but none of that except for the packaging hits the direct cost. So each sale is incrementally <laughs> yeah. more profitable. Right. And I'm always a big fan of particularly of marketing assets. And on Amazon, it comes down to the product detail page optimization. It's a fairly simple but brutal fight, which has its nuances. Obviously, for Shopify, you've got a broader canvas to work on. Marketing assets are... They're not one and done, but they're one off in the sense that you maybe yeah. you've got to update more and more on, on someone like Shopify, but for yeah. an Amazon list, you could update it once a season and yeah. get away with it as long as you've adjusted for the new economic yeah. situation. And so I think paying once and getting paid multiple times is always a, a smart investment is what I'm trying to say, rather than focusing yeah. too much on the direct cost, which is always a fight every single time you make a sale. And sometimes in a uh, recessionary period, you can actually lean into the low cost brand as a strategy. When I grew up as a kid, we would go to the grocery store called Lucky's and they had a whole aisle of generic items that were all in a yellow box. You wouldn't want to be caught dead as a fifth grader or sixth grader in school having yellow box food because it was almost like government food. It was like the cheap stuff. It's like government cheese is a famous thing in America. It's, that's what the poor people got. But if you're in a recession and you're selling on Amazon, you can certainly lean into that as a strategy. Yellow box as a strategy. You can, for example, have a brown paper bag with a sticker on it and say, this is the cheapest version of this you're going to find on Amazon because we're not spending any money on packaging. And if the customer believes that argument and they like that and they think, okay, this is a credible product. These guys are trying to be as cheap as possible. You might win sales with that approach. So that's, again, principle three in the book, aligning marketing and pricing. And there's a lot of creative opportunity there to really think through how to appeal the mind of the and the psychology of the customer. Yeah, it's interesting. When you say that, part of me is reacting at a fear level almost of thinking, oh, my goodness, the Chinese suppliers will always be cheaper. But that is that has been true for the last mm -hmm. generation really or increasingly yeah. the last 10 years but actually with the covid lockdowns and then goodness knows what else happens like the oil price rising which will hugely impact china because it imports everything in huge amounts including oil then that may there may be a tipping point where actually particularly american producers could become the low cost high value good value to the bargain yeah. lower pricing Point. And that that time may be approaching. I've got a feeling that it's a bit early for the, making that work in terms of profit at the moment. But who knows? Yeah. It depends on the category you're selling, of course, yeah. as well. Like baby. So milk. let me summarize because we've got a hard stop here in a moment. But let me summarize this way: in a recessionary time and in high inflation time, your pricing strategy is the most central thing you can think through in terms of managing your success going forward. Consider a reverse sale. Consider repositioning your brand and your product lines. Consider 
how your marketing aligns to your pricing and how to be creative in storytelling and customer conversations about how best to be honest about what you have to do, which is likely raise prices. And in those ways, you can stay ahead of the curve here. Look for opportunities to acquire your competitors as they maybe go under and grow your brand and grow your overall leadership in your niche, even during a recessionary time. So hopefully that's a decent summary of the conversation. And Michael, as always, it's an honor to hang out with you. I'll just suggest that people check out Call-In Show on the Call-In app and then also on Spotify, where we tend to be rising every month, which is really exciting. If on any podcast player you're listening to us, we'd love your highest and best review and a comment about the quality of the show from your point of view would be incredibly helpful as well. So Michael, appreciate the conversation, man. Jason, likewise. It's been fantastic. Thank you. Yep. Talk soon. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.